Sent from his throne above He came to change his world through love He came humbly, he came to serve He'll come again to rule this earth Hallelujah, the Lord has come And hallelujah, the Lord has come Hallelujah, the Lord has come Emmanuel, our God is with us You're listening to Thursday Night Live at Calvary Chapel, St. Paul Calvary Chapel, St. Paul is a fellowship of believers committed to a fourfold style of ministry We seek to reach, teach, mend, and send Each Thursday night live service involves a time of intimate worship, an in-depth study of God's Word, and a time of afterglow and leading of the Holy Spirit. And now, here is Thursday Night Live. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. I wasn't thanking you all week, but I'm thanking you that we made it here. So Lord Jesus... I'll just do the work in our lives here this evening. I pray for your anointing upon this message because I know it's coming, so help everyone else here. So, Lord, may we leave here today. Well, really, it really is my prayer, Lord, that somehow people leave here tonight more on fire, more convicted, more committed, more submitted, more in love with you than when we came here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Get your Bibles ready. Get your pencils ready. Put the seatbelts on. This is one of those messages... It's just for me. I've been, I just, when you, you know, when you store up spiritually, there's, you're just going to have a a BM, all right? It's a big movement. I don't know what you were thinking, all right? And just, I just spiritually, I just, this, I, I, I've just been pent up. And so if you get anything out of this, God bless you. But I've just, this is for me. So put the seatbelts on. Hey, young ones, remember, remember your job here. But you don't get too fast for me normally. I don't get too fast for you, yeah, because you cut on, but just between the three of you, just, well, you're taking notes, okay? Just slow it down, Chuck, all right? They're not worshiping me. This is worship. This is slow down, all right? And if I'm not looking at them, someone reach over and touch them and tell them, so. all right, but here we go. Hey, so uh, again, the first three chapters, uh, we see that we're called by grace. Interesting, this time around, I just, um, I tend not to review my old notes. uh, And this time around, I've never noticed this before, so a little interesting thing. Again, this is for me. No, except for 1 Peter, no other New Testament epistle, the letters, not the Gospels, mentions grace. It's Paul. Paul mentions grace. In fact, it is, if you look at the end of all his letters, he ends with the grace of God. None of the others, okay, 27 uh, New Testament letters, take away the force, that's 23. Of the 23, uh, then Revelation, so now we're down to 22. Paul wrote 14 of them. Well, I believe Hebrews was written by Paul because it has that, again, that identifying mark at the very end about the grace of God. So nowhere else, none of the other epistles 
mentions grace, only Paul. So I think he's pretty heavy into grace. And so we're called by grace in chapter 1. We're raised from the dead, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're reconciled. Again, remember what reconciliation is? Remember the example? When a husband and wife, and they divorce, and they destroyed their kids' lives, and then they're going to try this whole cool parenting things, and they give you this, this vomitous thing, like, you know, we're better friends now, and we're really good co-parents together, and, we, and even, I'm talking just the Christians, the Christians, forget about the pagans, they're, they're lost, right? But I'm talking about as the Christians, and they say, you know, we're, we're really good friends right now, and we've forgiven, and we've reconciled. If you were reconciled, just like the one couple in 42 years who divorced, went their separate ways for four years, had, had their kids, never remarried anybody else, both of them stopped backsliding, come back to the Lord, and I was able to do their wedding. And one out of 42 years. And so listen, that's what reconciliation looks like. And this is a theory of mine that's never been proven wrong. And this is a couple that came back to me and they said, your theory has never been proven wrong because we both got to a place in our lives that, um, that we asked God to forgive us and we asked each other to forgive each other for what we've done. And, and we were reconciled to God and we were reconciled to one another and we said, hey, we probably should just get remarried. And I was able to do the wedding. That is reconciliation. And so that's what it looks like. Christ's victory, we see that. So we see reconciled. And again, and understand this reconciliation and what this ransom is. We were already God's. So he ransomed. We were already his. We were held as a ransom. He paid the ransom. He purchased back that which was already his. That's what a ransom's all about. And so that's uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And then Christ's victory over Satan. As much as uh, the devil and the fallen minions that uh, make it seem like they're all powerful and harassing you, the victory is in Christ. Every time you're reminded of your past, remind the devil of his future, what's going to happen with him. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, then we get the nuts and bolts. Okay, so now we got the doctrine. Now we got the teaching. Now we've got the, found, now we've got the foundation. We've got the foundation now, and now how do we work this out? How do we walk with this? And so chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, this walk that's worthy in unity. It's going to take some time, isn't it? Because we've got to deal with each other. How do we walk worthy of this calling? Not that we have to earn our salvation. We're not going to earn our salvation, but how do we now walk in this salvation that we have? and to walk worthy of it. We can just live a life of gratitude and appreciation and then working at unity, trying to get all of us together to work in unity. So we'd have between now until the Lord takes us home. And then we see in chapter 4, verses 17 through uh, chapter 5, verse 17, that to put off the grave crows and to walk in purity. That you had these, you were, you were all set. You were all like, a, like an atheist at his funeral, all dressed up and no place to go, Right? So you have all these grave clothes on. And so here, you're to take them off, and then you're to put on purity. We're going to see that even more in Galatians. Paul develops that even more about the putting off of the old man and putting on the new man in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 5, verses 18 through chapter 6, verse 9, it's about walking in harmony, that we walk in harmony with one another. Different than unity. We can be united, maybe not in harmony with one another, 
But we can be united in this purpose, but now bring it all together, and we're in harmony with that. And then lastly, that we're going to see this, verses 10 through 24, to walk in victory. Yeah, it's a spiritual battle. We're going to pick it up here in verse 9. But we are, but we are again, to walk in that victory. Again, walk in victory. We have the victory. We've already seen that in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And because we have it, and then why do Christians not walk in the victory in Christ? Because you might forget about the victory of Christ. Listen, each and every one of us are called to evangelize. It's not to the gift to, the, to those who have the gift of evangelism. That means we can do a lot of things in masses and we have that. That's a gifting. But each and every one of us, the gospel spread because of the personal witness of every believer. And there's times I, I have shared uh, how to receive Jesus Christ. I have shared the gospel, the good news, tens of millions, thousands of times. I don't know if millions yet. And, and, and I am encouraged every time I share the gospel. In fact, the, here's an identifying mark. If you're sharing the gospel because uh, you love Jesus, I'm just going just gonna to give you this. You actually get more excited than the person that you're talking to because you know what's coming. You know what's out. You know this. And they're like, whoa. And if you're really fanatical, and just write this down, a fanatic. I want to give you the definition. Fanatic. You ready? You ready for this one? Someone who loves Jesus more than you. That's my definition of a fanatic. So if you call someone a fanatic, you're saying, hey, you love Jesus more than me. And if someone calls you a fanatic, go, yes, I am. And if someone says, you're a freak, that's right, I'm Jesus' freak. Whose freak are you? And so this is the thing that just comes down. And when you're sharing and you're giving this out, you get more excited. In fact, I got to look over here. Everything okay? All right, good. All right. Is that they're like, settle, settle down. I'm like, you know, and do you got this, and you, and you excited because you and I have that benefit that we know what's coming. But now, listen, through all of this, let's look at our day and age here. And again, this is me. I got to go through this. I got to get this out here. And then we see this whole thing that, again, the, our families, we went in the last chapter, uh, 417 through 517, about family, about work, uh, uh, being employee and employers. Uh, just uh, being a servant of God. And we see that, uh, that again, families are broken. The, so we see this. And understand this, that national policies contribute to family instability and breakup. Now I'm old. I'm 61. I grew up, I grew up in the 60s. I saw that whole sexual revolution where the men left the homes and, uh, for more sex and women stayed home with, uh, had, were left with the kids. And the government came and rewarded them, says, hey, you don't need a man in your life. Government will be your daddy, and we'll pay for you all as you need it. All you need is a lover now. You just don't need them. We'll take care of it. So national policies. If Lyndon Baines Johnson started this war on poverty, it won. He didn't beat poverty, and so he created more. And listen, you can do your own research on this. This isn't a theory of mine that's never been proven wrong. Uh, we have ascertained facts on this. If Franklin Delano Roosevelt would not have tried to fix the Great Depression, it wouldn't have lasted that long. It lasted a great deal of time because he started having, in other words, government getting in there. The government is not a private business and cannot function as a private business. Capital, free market, that, that all set, that works itself out. And yet he, again, 
uh, caused the Great Depression to go even further, and it was World War II that really brought us out of that. So listen, so national policies, the government trying to do it. In Chicago, listen, if you're not paying attention, you, you've got to uh, get online somehow and find a news source. Really, the foreign media is your best source, uh, Australian news and others, because they're telling us what's happened in America. But do you realize that there is a civil war brewing? Do you realize on the border of Texas, 25 other states are siding with Governor Abbott and they're trying to stop the, the invasion that's coming across the border in Texas. Nine of those 25 states are sending their National Guards because they're saying, listen, every state is a border state now. Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis, they have started shipping people. And if you do not realize this, my inside sources, because I work with airline pilots and I, or I'm, I'm friends with them, they're flying people to St. Cloud and busing illegals, busing them, from St. Cloud after landing there and bringing them into Minneapolis and populating. Our Governor Walls has made this a sanctuary state for immigration, for immigrants, for illegal aliens, actually lawbreakers, abortion, and female genital mutilation, gender reassignment. That's, that's what the state of Minnesota is all about. And if you haven't been watching the news of the 4th Congressional District or 4th or 5th with Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman, person, her, he, they, she, whatever, it's all out there that she's all for Somalia and that's why she's in the U.S. House of Representatives to defend Somalia and make sure policies go. This is all in this. This is nothing that Chick the Fanatic, that means I love Jesus more than you, right? See what I did there? This is all there. So national policies, divorce in the public uh, uh, is the public acknowledgement of failure. That's what I, some of you come from divorced families. Some of you are divorced families. And yet it's the acknowledgement of failure. The problems again, since again, my time since the 1960s and after the Supreme Court outlawed mentioning God in schools. I always say that again, they took out prayer and then a couple years later, they took out the 10 commandments. And they had to take out the Ten Commandments in school to make room for the metal detectors. Listen, divorce, it used to be 10 in 1,000, then a sudden growth, again, from 1979. Since 1979, it was 23, or 23 per 1,000. That was a breakup. And now it's at 50-50. That's the, that's the national divorce when it comes to divorce. Since 1990, a quarter of the women uh, have had a child uh, unmarried. Half of all marriages now end in divorce. Uh, remarried couples are more likely to break up than couples in their first marriages at 56%. Now that's the theory of mine that's never been proven wrong. If you've been married 10 years, you'll be divorced in five years. In other words, it just, in other words, in other words, whatever it took you to put up with whatever, it takes you 10 years so you finally blow up or 35. I've seen people that for 35 years. Kimberly and I have surpassed our, our pastor and his wife. They broke up just shy of 35 years and divorced and remarried. And so here now we are, what, 37, 38 years? 37 years. And so here uh, we see the divorce. So we see that the breakup of these couples, again, the first marriages, one in four children in, since the 1990s uh, will eventually enter a step family. Look around in our own fellowship here. Hollywood celebrates divorce and unwed motherhood. Is there any convincing on that one? Is anyone? Okay. 
federal policy celebrates social and sexual uh, variances. Do we see that now? We see that when it comes down to this, when it comes to the broken families, uh, we see the post-war generation. Uh, we're not talking Vietnam, we're talking World War II. 80% grew up in a family, okay? So post-war generation, 80% grew up in the family with two biological parents who were married to each other. 1980, less than 50% expect to spend their entire childhood in an intact family. An increasing number of children will experience family breakup two or even three times during childhood. Scientific evidence demonstrates that the children, uh, that children in disruptive families do worse than those in intact families. Again, theory of mind that's never been proven wrong. Oh, wait a minute. The Bible says a child left unto himself, his way always leads to? They can't hear you into spana. There you go. <laughs> Science is just catching up with the Bible. Um, and it tells us here that these families, again, six times more likely to be poor. 22% of one-parent families will experience poverty during childhood for seven years or more uh, versus 2% of children in a two-parent family. Um, again, from Barna Research. Children of single-parent families are three times as likely to have emotional and behavioral problems, more likely to drop out of high school, get pregnant. Well, I, I didn't happen, but everything else happened. Uh, get pregnant as teenagers, abuse drugs, be in trouble with the law. Also, higher risk of physical and sexual abuse, uh, less likely to be successful as adults uh, in, uh, in love and in work. Harder time achieving intimacy in a relationship, forming a stable marriage, or even holding a steady job. Teen suicide has tripled. This is pre-COVID. Teen suicide has, has, uh, has tripled. Juvenile uh, crime has increased and become more and more violent. And school performance has continued to decline. I don't know. Is there a teacher in our midst who would say verify that? I mean, I don't want to be talking out of turn, but would there be a teacher here who would say amen to that, that performance has declined? Basic, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you realize that, that, that 50 uh, that uh, I think 75% of the kids graduating high school, if they graduate, 75% do not have basic math skills. That's like half, isn't it, Nick? <laughs> All right, so we see that, right? And then since COVID, that which was tripled up until 2020 has quadrupled teen suicide, more and more kids. And there might be people here that's affected just as well. And so we see that, that that's happening here. And again, why should I continue in school? The me generation, fewer than half of the adult Americans today regard the idea of sacrifice for others as a positive moral value. Listen, Kimberly and I, Kimberly and I have purposely chosen to work with the group from 12 to 15 years of age. From 12 to 15 years of age. And we work with well, we call it not youth group. I want to tell you, for your, you might consider them children. We consider a 12-year-old to be a what? Immature. Young adult, but a young what? Immature. A little louder. Immature. Immature. They need to grow, all right? This is what Kimberly and I, with Christian 
your children, the young adults, this is what we deal with the most. Fewer than half of the adult Americans today, bad young ones and bad old ones, regard the idea of sacrifice for others <laughs> or as a positive moral value. They don't regard it as a positive moral value, the sacrifice for others. In 1912, 1912 or 1930, the Titanic sunk in April 1912, I think it was. And it was women and children first. In fact, men who got onto the lifeboats, later many of them committed suicide because they were ridiculed because you said you were a survivor of the Titanic and why didn't the women uh, survive? All right? Fast forward, put 100 on top of 19... Uh, 1912, put 100 a year. What is that? A lattice, latest in 2012 off the uh, Greek coast, an Italian cruise ship sank and there was no women and children first. And they interviewed the men who left women and children on the cruise ship and the response was, Why did, what happened to women and children first? The response over and over was equal rights. Equal rights. They want equal rights, then they take equal risk. And so here, so again, they regard. So this is what we deal with is working with your 12 to 15-year-olds about sacrifice and the needs and looking out for the needs of others. To not get in their little cliques and their little groups and only just talk to one another. And Kimberly and I challenge them that way. Why? Because we deal with really bad old people. And we're just talking Christians. I don't care. I, the pagans act the way the pagans act but the sacrifice for others and laying down their lives. I have a T-shirt that I wear someone gave me. I don't know. Yeah, you Kimberly got it. And it says, I served in the defense of others for strangers. What do you think I'll do for my grandchildren? The adult quest for freedom, independence, choice in family relationships, conflicts with the child's development or conflicts with the child's development needs for stability, consistency, harmony, and preeminence in family life. Me, me, me. Only thinking about me and not thinking about others. Um, welfare dependency tends to be passed on from one generation to the next. We've seen it. We've seen it. I, I grew up. First uh, eight, nine years of my life. We never would have gotten off of welfare. Well, actually, from the time we moved to Southern California, so from the time I was uh, five till about uh, 12 years of age, uh, my mom was on, worked a full time, but still was on welfare. And the only reason we got off welfare is because Governor Reagan became uh, the governor of the state and said, you've you got to get off and weaned everybody off. And so we were off welfare, not by choice. It says, you are going to work and you're going to enter your keep. We're not, we can't do this. So listen, welfare dependency depends, uh, to, to, tends to pass on from one generation to the next. Daughters of single parents are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers if they marry at all, 111% more likely to have children as teenagers, 164% more likely to have premarital uh, birth, 92% more likely to dissolve their own marriages. This is our, this is our generation. These are the kids, again, the, uh, again, after me and that are here right now. Each divorce is the death of a small civilization. Do you guys get that? Each divorce is the death of a small civilization. It, infli it inflicts wounds that never heal. Survey after survey 
demonstrates that Americans are less inclined than they were a generation ago to value sexual fidelity, lifelong marriage, and parenthood as worthwhile personal goals. It's not it. Now, we've got some freaks here in our church. Some young ladies went and told their grandmas together because they came together and they told their grandmas, we're not going to college, we're going to get married, uh, and we're going to have kids, and that's all we wanted. And they were ridiculed by their, uh, some, I guess, were Christians, uh, by, their, by their grandparents. And lately, I've heard this last week, their grandparents are coming back to them, it's a good thing that you're not going to college and what they're doing there and wise decision there. Listen, I, I'll tell you our personal goal, we believe young people should marry young. Just like the Bible says, and that you should be with who you are married to for the rest of your life. And you'll be better off. You will. Survey after survey shows that. And so I raised every one of my children to marry young, hopefully before they were 20. They didn't have to, but I made sure by the time my uh, young adult was by the time they were 16, from 16 to 18, you don't see them anymore because they get their driver's license. They should get their driver's license. The way I raised my kids, you will get your driver's license on your 16th birthday. You will be driving and you will be driving your brothers and sisters everywhere, and you will be doing all these things, and yes, when I want something from McDonald's, you will go and get it. All right? You will do these things. And if you don't want it, then uh, you'll never, ever get a ride from us. Take a bus, do whatever you got, get a bus card, but no, because you have the opportunity. You will do this. So for us, it wasn't a rite of, a, a privilege. It was a rite of passage. You are going to do this, and there's just no way around it. And they all learned on a stick shift. They all learned, because if you can drive a stick... You can drive anything, man, I tell you that. Now, my daughter was really brutal to young men in this church because they would ask for a ride or whatever, or she'd go, well, I can't drive a stick, and she was brutal on the young men here. What? Are you even a man? Listen, they don't look at this as worthwhile goals. Doesn't mean that you have to be, but you will. It's your choice not to get married, but you will know how to balance a checkbook and an account you will know how to do these things. I gave my, my young men and, and, and my woman, <laughs> my daughter, skill set. Man, uh, my kids, all my kids now are on their second or third homes. They're just buying like crazy, doing whatever, gaining wealth, doing these things. And they started off small and they're, and, they're, and they're progressing. Every one of them, oh, if they're listening right now, every one of them, unbeknownst to each other, because they, they don't talk to each other about them, Every one of them has said, Dad, getting a loan for a house, for our first house, was easier than borrowing $100 from you. Because you got to show me your books. And I better see where every penny is. And if you say that you have 56 cents, you better pull that 56 cents out of your pocket and show me. I better see to the penny. And they were prepared. And if they didn't show me their books, they starve, they do whatever, you didn't get it. So I gave them sending. Again, I... I there's something about uh, uh, here's the theory of mine do, do you ladies you sisters with uh, this isn't a guy thing do you sisters with long straight hair look at the girls with, with curly hair and go wish you had curly hair do you girls with curly hair say look at the girls with long hair wish you had straight hair I think not maybe everybody well I, I'm just going to give you the inside scoop pastors who are called to be a pastor I'm called to be a pastor my heroes are missionaries that's because I long oh man if I could be a missionary I'll never be I would be a horrible missionary 
But I'm going to send and I'm going to support and I'm going to send these out. But I, I read stories of missionaries. There was an old missionary returning from many years of sacrifice in Africa. And you can just guess who that is. I won't give it away. But, and on that same trip was President Theodore Roosevelt. And returning from a big game hunt in Africa. When the ship docked, great crowds and press and all greeted the president and the old missionary and his wife walked off unnoticed and made their way to a cheap hotel. It doesn't seem right. We gave our lives in Africa, win souls to Christ, and when we arrive home, there's nobody to meet us. The president shoots some wild animals and receives a royal hero's welcome, the missionary complained. Well, his wife gives the same wife that I, I don't, I don't know if there's time travel there, if you're remarried, honey, but uh, she looks at his wife, looks at him, says, he says, the reason why, honey, is because we aren't home yet. We're not home yet. This isn't our home. This is what's going on in America today. We see some things about the Apostle Paul. Take these down. 20 years later, after this, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, Paul was stoned. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4, he had an out-of-body experience. I think, I think that was in Lystra. We're going through the book of Acts right now. And in Galatians 6, 17, he bears the marks of that early. Now, understand this. We're going to get in. This is just the introduction. This is just for me so I can get through these last few verses. Are you, can you hang with me a little bit? I just, I just, I'm holding all this stuff in, so I just got, I just, I'm having a BN here, right? A big movement. I'm just getting this out here. So let me give you some things when we come to this. Before we get to this spiritual attack, I want to give you Satan's whereabouts. All right? Remember, Satan is only a created being, a fallen high archangel. He can't, he's not omnipresent, not all-knowing. The devil has fallen minions, can only appear as angels of light, as Paul tells us in Corinthians. They can't even read our minds. Well, there might be things going on in your head. There might be thoughts. There might be things put in your way, and you start thinking. All they can do, they are great, great carn artists because they can read body language. I'm not as good as the devils were, even in my prime when I was working for the devil, but I can understand when you run a con, you could do things, and that's what you do. You try to see what their responses are, and then you capitalize on that. And so, listen, God expelled him. You look at Ezekiel chapter 28 and, and Ezekiel uh, 16, or Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 16 and 14. Satan was cast from God's government in heaven, we see that in Luke chapter 10 and 18. But he was still allowed access to God. We see that in Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Now listen, if you're going to share your faith with others, people are going to ask you about Satan. You need to be able to let them know about these things, that it's not a surprise to God. We also see that he was still allowed access to God. That's also in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the tribulation, this is what I'm saying, when you get harassed by the fallen angels, the minions, the little demons and devils, and I don't think Satan has enough time, personally, Lucifer, to spend time with you or with me, but he has others there. In the tribulation, Satan will be cast from heaven and restricted to the earth. Not to the bottomless pit yet. When, when his plan, because remember, Satan is still trying to overthrow heaven. 
He still thinks he's got, a, he's got a shot. And when it's finally done and over, he comes to earth during that tribulation period, and that's literally when all Hades breaks loose. And he's going to, again, he no longer can torment that which is in heaven and be the accuser of the brethren, as the Bible tells us. And so all of that will be vented here on earth during that thousand year, that tribulation period there. Uh, d- uh, during the millennium, or that seven-year period of the tribulation period. That's, again, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 13. If you want a review of that tribulation period and all of the history of the Jews and Gentiles, that's that's Revelation chapter 12, all of it. But Satan will be cast from heaven and restricted to the earth. So whenever you're being told about your past and how evil you are and all that kind of stuff that's happening there, you just remind who's ever harassing you out loud, just say, yeah, well, I know what your future is. And remind them about their future. During the millennium, that 1,000-year reign of Christ here on earth, Satan will be bound in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. That's, Gen- that's Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And after his brief release at the end of the millennium, chapter 20 of Revelation, verses 7 and 9, then he will be cast into the lake of fire Forever. For those of you who ever watched The Sandlot, forever. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Listen, let's just look at the strategies of Satan and how they've worked out. He corrupted uh, the corruption of Adam's line, Genesis chapter 6. He knows the plan of God. He knows a little bit about the plan of God, and so now he tries to corrupt because what Jesus is known, or the Messiah, we know him to be Jesus, is going to be the last Adam. The first Adam brought sin and death. The last Adam brought forgiveness and mercy and a relationship. So in Genesis 6, we see that he tried to corrupt Adam's line. With what? The Nephilim, fallen angels, demons, devils. And then we see, again, that he, that he tries to corrupt Abraham's seed. Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20. He knows that it's going to come through Adam. Well, now God makes Jews, and he says, through your seed. So now he's going to try to corrupt Abraham's seed. We see in Genesis chapter 50, he tries to wipe out all the Jews with a famine. And then we see, in, and then we see that there's a destruction of the male line in Exodus chapter 1, but yet we'll see who's preserved when again, Pharaoh tries to destroy everything, but yet here, Exodus 1 We see Pharaoh's pursuit in Exodus 14. They got away, so now he's coming after them. And then we see from Genesis 15 all the way into the promised land. And this is is a big context, especially when you're reading the Old Testament. Because one of the questions is, and we'll get to that in PWT in lesson number 10, but here it is. I'll give you a little precursor. They always ask the question, the number one question is, Where did Cain get his wife? Us from Calvary Chapel, St. Paul, we know it's from Hastings. That's where Cain Kellerman got his wife, Sherry, from Hastings. No, it's his sister. So we answer all that. But from from Genesis 6, or from actually from uh, Genesis chapter 20, all the way through through Exodus and through to the promised land, (laughs) Satan had 400 years to populate the land of Cana with perverse, godless, heathen, worshiping people. 
Thus is why God says you must utterly destroy all those nations in Cana. 400 years, the devil knew that they were coming. He told him what was going to happen. Told him you were going to go into Egypt and you're going to come out a nation. The 70 went in, millions came out after 400 years. So 400 years, Satan's doing all he can to populate Cana. If you read in the book of Revelation, there really wasn't that many nations and people in the promised land. It wasn't even called the promised land then. 400 years. And then when you read of the nations and why you need to be utterly wiped out, bestiality, not just the incest and the bestiality and the incestuous thing, everything was compulsory. Everybody did these things. Everyone's default. He said, just utterly wipe them out. You, you, can't, you can't reform them. You can't come alongside them. Utterly wipe them out. That was the plans of the devil. And so the population of Cana, we see that from Genesis chapter 15 on. And then what do we see against David's line in 2 Samuel chapter 7? He tries to corrupt because, again, Saul didn't work out, but he said through the line of David. Through the line of David. So we see that Jerom kills uh, the brothers. We see in 2 Chronicles chapter 21. The Arabians slew all, but as Ahiah... Athaliah kills all but Joash in 2 Chronicles chapter 22. Listen, if you don't know who these are, take these things out and go back and read this. Hezekiah assaulted in Isaiah chapter 36 and 38. Haman's attempt to wipe out the Jews, Esther chapter 3. <laughs> I just want to let you know that before Hitler we had Haman. Why? Because listen, um, we were in Israel about 20 years ago uh, supporting the nation of Israel. We were on a missions trip and we were there and met some friends there, but they met with the prime minister. And there was also the premier at that time. I don't know who it was, what dictator was in charge of China at that time. Uh, But uh, the premier of China asked the it wasn't Benjamin Netanyahu then, 20, either Ehud Barak or Omar. He said, we both have 6,000 years of history, the Chinese people and the Jewish people. We both have recorded 6,000 years of, of history. But there's a billion Chinese. There's only 12 million Jews in existence. Six million of them live in Israel alone. Why is that? find that odd. And the prime minister of Israel says, because the Jews are the most persecuted people group of all the world, if you take all the other people groups and combine them together, they do not compare to the Jewish people. Let's go to the New Testament. Joseph's fear of of Mary being impregnated, we see that in Matthew chapter 1. So what happens with Joseph's fear? He's going to, again, try to divorce her. They were betrothed and he was going to put her away. We see in Matthew chapter 2, we see Herod's attempts. That's why when we did our greatest Christmas pageant ever, did you see that? Modern day shepherds. But anyways, we were here. What did he, he said, and he said, listen, the baby was born and there's that mashup. And you think a little, the wise man came, you know, and visited his little baby. No, by the time the magi come, it was a child and he was living in a house. And that's why he said, when did you see the star? And he told him when. That's why Herod said every male child from the age of two and under just utterly wiped them out. Again, Satan trying to thwart the plan of God. We see at Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, they tried to kill Jesus when he spoke up at the synagogue. 
Try to kill, kill them there and get them out. We see two storms on the Sea of Galilee, Mark chapter 4 and Luke 8. I believe those, demonic, those are demonic storms. Trying to walk. And here's the thing. The reason is, is that these, are, these, these fishermen, they know the Sea of Galilee. And it's not that big of a deal, uh, storms. But in, in Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4, these guys were in fear for their life. They've never seen a storm like this. And Jesus says, be still. We also see what happens at the cross. He tried to, at the cross, kill him. And then again, a summary would be Revelation chapter 12. Let's look at some of the titles. Really, we're going to get into chapter 6, Ephesians chapter... Okay, we'll get there. Satan's titles. The prince of this world. John chapter 12, verse 31. The prince of the power of the air. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Head of the world rulers of darkness. Well, we'll get into that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And the God of this age. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. All right. Now. It's in my contract. Now our present predicament. <laughs> that was just a brief review. And trust me, I left out 10, no, 10 pages of notes. America is in a moral freefall. And again, I believe it is because we are victims of spiritual warfare. I believe because the pulpits are dead, they are empty, even though there's bodies there. I do not believe the word of God is being taught, it's being preached, it's being encouraged to be lived out. And that's why, I, so I put it squarely on the preachers and the pastors, the spiritual. What, are you watching the news? Now, listen, there's a, there's, a, there's a celebrity pastor who has a church, I think it's in uh, Ohio, and uh, he made a statement, and now radio stations, Christian radio stations are dropping him. Uh, people are asking, and I've seen his sort of, an, well, not really apology, but an explanation. But back in September, he made a comment on his podcast, and it's now just come to light, because that's the way the enemy works. And he, and he basically, this grandma called, uh, my grandson is transgender and he's marrying this other guy who's transgender, which is weird because he's transgendering into whatever. And uh, uh, she says, and, uh, do I go to the wedding or not? And this celebrity pastor said, yeah, go to the wedding. Go to the wedding and just show love and compassion and go to the wedding. Well, that's come to light. And they're like, uh, no, we're not to be condoning that. And this celebrity pastor, his explanation, it's a two-minute clip, and he was, he was really distraught. It was on a Sunday night. He says, well, I'll be meeting with my board, with the board of this church, and they'll be, we'll be discussing and coming up with a plan. He goes, I was just trying to, it was just, I was just trying to help her show some compassion to minister to his grandson, or to minister to her grandson. I was just, I was just trying to be compassionate, trying to show some compassion. But you're spiritually, biblically, theologically, you're wrong. Every one of them, you're wrong. And he needs to just come back and say, oops, I'm sorry, I've learned my lesson. Uh, not that he got spanked by his board, but just like, because his, what he gave out as, as advice for compassion is not biblical. 
We're not going to condone the deeds of darkness. We're not to be participating in them any longer. We're not to be going and being, and being seen and being doing those things. America is in, a free, is, a, is in a moral free fall, and I believe, again, like this celebrity pastor knows, I hope he comes to his senses. I hope he comes around and learns from this. We have a media masking the truth. Good big amen. Do you realize that? If you see nothing wrong with the media, they've done their job. We have courts perverting justice. Why are there still 56 people about a dozen of them who were never there, even in Washington, D.C., during January 6th, during the Great Insurrection. Why are they still in jail and have never been arraigned? They have, they've been charged, but they've never been arraigned. They've never gone to a judge, pleaded guilty or not guilty, and offered bail. 56 of them are still. 1,400 people have pled guilty and have been convicted. Some have done time. Recently, some are doing 11, some are doing 20 years. Two guys in particular of the Oath Keepers who were nowhere near Washington, D.C. One's doing 20 years, the other one's doing 11 years. Perversion of justice. Listen, I do not want to go to prison. I do not want to go to jail. I'll not accept bail even if it's offered. But I just want to let you know, if it happens because of whatever I'm saying, I prepared my wife for this, we prayed about this, there's no fundraiser. Save the money. Take care of my wife. Okay? That's all I'm asking. If I'm going to be out here and you're not, don't do a fundraiser, spaghetti dinners and all that stuff because we're not doing carbs. Uh, just save the money. Take care of my wife. And, and then I've got a prison ministry. I used to like when I had a prison ministry. I could leave at the end of the day as a chaplain, but I guess I'm going to be on an extended chaplaincy program. I don't want to do for it. I don't think I'm a greater spiritual giant than anyone else here. I don't think that I, uh, I, 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 more than anybody else, I don't want to do it. But if that happens, God's got to be my deliverer. I'll plead my case, I'll do whatever. But I understand that, again, there's a perversion of justice. We have schools deliberately dumbing down our youth. Not all school teachers. Not all. But we can see that. We have replaced our traditional heritage with multiculturalism, revisionism, and values of relativism. And traditional patriotism is now relegated as a form of idol worship. Proud to be an American drop. You know, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, Teddy Theodore Roosevelt, uh, president there, said it's time that everyone drops the hyphen. I'm not an Italian American, Greek American. I'm not just drop it. Drop the You're Americans. We're all Americans. Our government is now the purveyor of immorality. Do you know what your tax dollars go to? Because prostitution is legal in the state of Nevada, there's a famous brothel, whorehouse called the, the ranch, the Mustang Ranch. And the owner there defrauded the government. And the IRS came and seized the Mustang Ranch. Do you know your tax dollars go to pay IRS agents to run the, the brothel in the state of Nevada? Because it's legalized there? Your tax dollars. Because it's legal, it was a legal business, and they didn't pay their taxes. And so uh, you're all, again, according to the definition, you're all pimps. That's where your tax dollars are going. I'm just giving you the 
present predicament that we're in. Hey, it gets worse. We are, why are we again surprised? Government have always loved crisis. They provide the rationale for increasing budgets and bureaucracies and subjugating the population. Most new dictators create extreme crisis to consolidate their internal powers. But what's happened over COVID? What's happened over the crisis here in the United States? They don't need a war. Uh, most uh, in our country, they, uh, long and, uh, they long ago learned that social crisis serves as, a, as well as the military ones. What's happened in the last few years? In our country, there is one insight that supplies a key missing link. There's one insight to all these things. It's immorality is the results in the social crisis. Is it any surprise to learn that governments have an enormous incentive to promote immorality. I'll finish with this, and this is simply my introduction. The cycles of nations. Now, here's the thing. Let me just put this out right now because of social media. Alexander Tyler in 1750 is quoted with this saying. And I've, I've done this over the course of years, over the course of 30 years, and now with social media, people... Their takeaway is, Alexander Tyre, he didn't do that. It was somebody else. It was somebody this. It was somebody this. Hey, listen, he's just the one who's quoted it. It doesn't bother me if he uh, stole it or not, or we don't even know who the original quote is from, but he's the one who popularized it. And here it is. And it's all about the cycles of nations. And understand this. If you're a student of history... Nations last about 200 years in all the world's history. That's why Israel is the only nation in all of world's history that, again, uh, was <laughs> disbanded, kept their national identity, their language, everything, and then was brought back to life and then restored. No other nation. We're 250 years now. America, we're overdue. But they all corrupt from within. So here's the nation. Here's again. This is just a study of all the other nations... 6,000 years of the world's history, it goes from, spot, from bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to complacency. From complacency to apathy. And from apathy to dependency. And from dependency back into bondage. Where do you think we are? We're back into bondage, folks. But what's coming next? Spiritual faith. See, I grew up with, I grew up with the, uh, the abundancy, the liberty to abundancy. That's in my timeline. From abundance to complacency, I saw that. Complacency to apathy. You ask the basic college student today or any young person today, you ask them the difference between ignorance and apathy, what will they say? I don't know and I don't care. If you can't laugh at that joke, you need to go find the definition of those words there. <laughs> this, again, goes back to my earlier point, the dumbing down of our society. From apathy to dependency. Listen, Frederick I. Hayek wrote a, wrote a book called, he, wrote, he was an economist, he wrote a, a great work called The Road to Serfdom. And he's talking about when, when the producers finally figure out that the t there's more takers than producers, they're going to stop producing. What's the use? And Frederick 
Hayek predicted the fall of communism with Russia, who came to the Soviet Union, and he lived to see, he lived into the 80s, 85, 86, so he got to see the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of communism and perestroika and uh, Gorbachev. He, he got to live, and again, he was on talk shows. He would be, hey, how did you predict this? He predicted it 80 years earlier when it was first starting, okay? Frederick Hayek uh, saw the first planes flying. And so here he lived a long enough time. He said, this communism will not last. So from, from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, and from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, and from apathy to dependency, and from dependency back into bondage. What's next, folks? That's, that's why Kimberly and I moved back here to the Midwest. We want to see this great revival that we saw on the East Coast and on the West Coast where people were coming, the Jesus people. When I took some of these young ones out to California and I do some interviews for some interns and the, the Jesus Revolution movie just came out. And it's a composite. It's not an actual thing. It's just a composite of many stories put together from Pastor Greg Laurie's perspective. But it really did happen and I lived it. I mean, I got saved in 82, but I grew up in the 60s and 70s going to Calvary Chapel and going to the tent and hanging out with all the hippies. My brothers and sisters were five to 10 years older than me, so I experienced all that. I've seen all that. That's why when I, when I came to Christ, I was like, and I started going to Calvary Chapel, I was like, hey, this looks familiar. They got a building now. I was there in the tent. I was there in all those concerts. I was there in those things. And these young ones go, hey, will we be anywhere near Corona de Mar and Pirate's Cove? And I go, well, we can be. Well, landed the plane there, and they got baptized there. And, and we see that. And everyone there around the beach knew what, what was going on because it's just a common occurrence there. Oh, to God that we see that great revival happening here in our lives today, that we would see this going on and that people would be in it. So we're, I think, folks, we're, 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 we're on the cusp of another great revival. But understand this, it's not going to be the hippies again. Who's going to be coming to faith? Those poor children who our governor in the state of Minnesota says you can change your gender and with mutilated bodies. How are you, Calvary Chapel St. Paul family, going to be able to come along somebody who's mutilated their body and realizes and they've come to faith? You see, I don't know about you, but I've had the experience of leading someone to the Lord while their loved one is in the next room dead waiting for the coroner and asking all these questions about the meaning and purpose of life and just going through my personal witness training and sharing with them, and they come to faith. And, and, and the first time this happened, it blew me away. Still affects me to this day. The first time I came home, literally in tears, crying. I mean, just shaken, saying this to Kimberly. I said, I got to lead this woman to the Lord. Her husband died, and, uh, and, and she came to faith, and she was like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to heaven. Less than a minute. Some of you have a honeymoon that lasts like maybe a few weeks, a few months before you start having, within a minute, she's like, my husband's in hell. Her honeymoon with the Lord lasted 60 seconds. I was like, yes, 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 yes. My husband's in hell. Well, and I, want, I wanted to. I wanted to out of compassion and say, well, you know, we don't know what he did the last moments of his life, but we really do know what he did with the last moments of his life. 
He did not go and pray and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. What are we going to do, brothers and sisters? Because that's the next great revival. <laughs> if that offends you, you should leave now. You should go find another church. No one will be turned away. Not a one. They're mutilated. Some come from abortion. You need to go to see the movie on February 11th about abolitionists and what we're doing here. And even in Calvary chapels, I'm odd. So I just want to let you know that. You know that. Some of you know that by now, right? I'm sending you away for a church split. You, you should take this opportunity. I, listen, I, I want to see thousands and thousands of people that come to know the Lord. I want to see 250 home fellowships by Calvary Chapel St. Paul. I want to see two more Calvary Chapels planted in St. Paul, and I pray we're the ones to do it. I want to see more coffee houses. I want to see all these things. I want the Kmart off of 35 E in Maryland. I'm still praying for it in. Believe it. But the ones who are going to be coming are not the hippies. The ones who are going to be coming who are being devastated from all these homes and what's happening from this life. And if that scares you, you should find another church now. Use that on the 18th. Hmm. But if you can't, and you come back the following week, I'm expecting all of you to be ready. There's going to be young men and women who've been abused sexually, who've, who've been tossed around, who've mutilated their bodies, who have been ruined by this world and lied to. And they're going to come here. They're going to find me and Kimberly. My prayer is that there would be, you would be here too. But if that scares you, it should, scares me. But are you ready for it? I'm giving you an honorable way out. I have no problem with you coming to me and saying, I, it's not for me. I got to go find a church where I can snuggle in the struggle and wait out the rapture. There, there are some churches where you can hang out and do that. But I'm looking at everybody here, every one of you, all ages. We need to welcome in and see the grace of God. And that's what I'm about. I believe with all my heart, I would not be here. Kimberly and I would not be here if God hadn't told us that we were going to see a great value. I'm like my family. Why can't you just stay in California? It doesn't, you know, aren't there enough sinners here in California, as my mom would say? There isn't a, I guess you could, but why? Because what's happened in the Jesus Revolution, what's happened in the East Coast and the West Coast and the South, everything, has not happened up here in the upper Midwest. And that's why specifically I'm here. Kimberly's with me. You with me? Still? All right. She had her chance to get out a long time ago. So she's in. You should go find it. Isaac, come on up. Okay, so we'll get into chapter 6, verses uh, 10 through 20 uh, next week. That was my introduction. Like I said, tonight was just for me. I had to get it all out. Let's get this microphone over here. And I want to teach you some songs here. And so, Isaac, this is, <laughs> this is a good young person. Be a good old person. You ready? Now, we've had the greatest Christmas pageant ever, right? Mm -hmm. And your choir back there were totally useless, right? 
All right, so this, this is you, man. We getting this on camera? You ready? You got this right here, Isaac. He, this is the ones that, that, that he came up with this song. Now, again, I don't know how we're going to get it on the social media because there might be some copyright infringements. Are you ready? I'm going to give it a test. Say test. Test. All right, you go for it, man. Teach us this new song. Jingle bells, devil smells, Jesus won the war. The devil lost, the land got tossed in the lake of fire. Jingle bells, devil smells, Jesus won the war. The devil lost, the land got tossed in the lake of fire. Dashing through the lava. As Satan in his doom, nothing but just drama. His demons are there too. Boy, that place is hot. I sure thank God a lot that I will not be going there too. Thank you. Isaac. All right. Isaac. Go to heaven. <laughs> all right, man. Go to heaven. Hey. All right, so that's my introduction. <sighs> Thank you. I feel much better now. I hope you got something out of it, but I feel... Okay, so next week, we'll have to update the website. So next week will be verses uh, 10 uh, through 24, all right? That was my introduction, and I wanted to end with that, all right? But uh, listen, songs like that, and songs like praise the Lord, hallelujah, I don't care what the devil's going to do. A word in faith is my sword and shield. And Jesus is the Lord of the way I feel. That's what I want to do, right? All right. Now, everybody, I got to teach you one. We're going to do this together, right? Stand up. Come on, Ed. Up here, Ed. You got to get ready for your guitar, man. You got to get ready for your guitar solo here, right? right? All right. No, no, yeah, come on up, man. We got to... Are you ready, man? We're going to take communion. All right? There might be copyright infringements. You ready? You ready? All right? <laughs> the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Jesus is the truth and the devil is a liar. Kick that devil to the curb. Hit him in the head with the word. Kick that devil to the curb. Hit him in the head with the word. The roof, the roof. The roof is on fire. Jesus is the truth, and the devil is a liar. All right, get up there, man. <laughs> All right, man, now we're going to do a communion, so cut it off. That's just.